Thank you, Sean. I'm glad. Thank you, everyone, for performing on cue. Welcome to Position Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. Uh, we open every Position of Neutrality with a prayer, and Chaplain Lee is in the house. Come on and stand all over the room. All right. Father, we thank you again today for everything you have done, everything you're doing, but most of all for what you're about to do. Pour out your spirit in this place tonight like never before. We come to hear from you, Lord, and we know that you're able to use your manservant in such a special way. Now have your way in this place as we prepare to step into step two. We thank you for what you're about to do. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray all these things and let everyone say amen. Thank you, Chap. So as he said, we're going to take a look into step two tonight. That's always an exciting experience for me. I, I have a theory about modern recovery that oftentimes when people don't get the freedom that they see promised in our literature, it's because somebody has not properly introduced them to this encounter with power that we, we have and that our authors dictate. Our authors are very specific about this power that we come to believe in. Um, before we launch into that, I want to give a shout out from the place to all the, we, we delay it, but we still stream into all 30,000 plus men and women in the Arizona Department of Corrections. We'd like, and we also stream into the 7,500 or so that are in Maricopa County Jails. And we like to call them out, not because of where they are, but if they'll come to us, we, where we know they're going. Right? They're coming home. Absolutely right, Tim. Thank you. So, um, any of you here for the first time tonight? Oh, good. A bunch of you. So, first of all, welcome. And second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for a lot of years now, we, we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? The process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yes? So because this is their testimony, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered, I'm not trying to change it or tell you what it says. I'm just trying to show you how I find what it says to me and encourage you to have your own experience. If we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and witnessed for these folks? That does happen. So those of you on camera, they're raising their hands. Um, those of you that are sitting in here wondering what they're raising their hand about. When we speak to you of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, we're talking to you of a sensory experience. When, when we speak to you of that 
experience, you will feel it. And when you feel it, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention. Because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without, there you go. Oh, if you haven't been here before, when I say God, they say, yeah, because it's an interchangeable experience. It's a sensory, tangible experience. Okay, so tonight we're going to take a look at step two, and it's in a chapter called We Agnostics, chapter four, found on page 44 of your book, if you're following along in a book. And it says, in the preceding chapters, you've learned something of alcoholism. So how many of you from the last week or whatever um, learned something of alcoholism that perhaps you didn't know? How many of you learned something of alcoholism and addiction from lived experience in alcoholism and addiction? Did any of the author's testimony make sense of some of the experiences you had? Okay, then you've learned something. Good, we can proceed. Okay. says, we hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. Have they made that clear? This is something that the alcoholic type must believe. Right? They make that very clear. What is the difference between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic? And they're... The alcoholic will go into physical cravings if he's exposed to alcohol. Do you agree with them? Yeah. Maybe a manifestation of an allergy. Has that, any of you been confused by that idea before? Do I have any drinkers in the room? Yes. Have you found that you are energized when you drink alcohol? Yes. It's a sedative. That's, that's an abnormal reaction to a sedative. So if you, where's my heroin addicts? Methamphetamine? <laughs> heroin addicts, you already know what I'm going to say. You slam that shit, and then you're ready to go mow the lawn, right? <laughs> tweakers? Where's the tweakers? Yeah. You find that stuff calms you down? Yeah. Those are all abnormal reactions. A doctor witnessing that may presume that that may be some manifestation of an allergy, the exact experience Sean detailed. Okay, so that's the one symptom we have in common. If, if we got that, then we ain't the other because it never happens in the average temperate drinker. Okay, so if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, is that true for you? Stop and stay stopped. Or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, is that true for you? Which did you discover first? Sean said he couldn't stop. How many of you had a progressive loss of control that was baffling you? And how many of you thought you could just stop and you found you couldn't stop and stay stopped? Okay, so it says that you're probably alcoholic. Then it says, if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So they're trying to give you some truth, and some of us come here, they're going to give us the demographics of this group, see where you relate, but if you hear that right away and you've assigned a meaning to what a spiritual experience is, that can get in your way. So we may want to follow what the authors detail, because they're going to witness to you what they were like, what happened, what they're like now. Yes? Okay. So it says, to one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. Anybody here that... 
feel they're atheist or agnostic or once did? Okay. But to continue as he is means disaster. You, have you concluded at least that? Especially if he's an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Anyone here think they might have been that guy? So they're going to give us a, a thought process they all crossed over from. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to faith. Sean, Sean's laughing on cue. You guys with him? They're saying to me, happy, joyous, and free, addict death. Pick one. Any of you remember when you got faced with that alternative and you're like, oh, I don't know what that looks like. Can we have a few more days to think about it? Okay, so that's all they're telling us. So it says, but it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. What type? Atheist or agnostic. Half of them were atheist or agnostic. What would that make the other half? Probably believers dying in their alcoholism. Okay. So at first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. How many of you said, well, I'm not that bad yet? Perhaps I overreacted. Okay. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Notice how they're already telling us this is going to be a basis of life, a manner of living. It's not going to be a one and done because my drug use was never a one and done. Does it make sense? Okay. Perhaps it's going to be that way with you. Notice how they're not particularly earnest in trying to persuade you. You're the only one who knows. The persuader is alcohol, methamphetamine, cocaine, fentanyl. Whatever you've chased into these rooms, that's the persuasive force. We're only here to bear witness to the power that restored us from it. Okay? So perhaps it's going to be that way with you, but cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. So the authors are witnessing to you that half of them, though they thought themselves atheist or agnostic, had an experience that changed their mind. They came to believe. If you haven't had that little truth told to you, I'm reading it right out of their book. Okay? So it says, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. How many of you changed your playmates and playgrounds? How many of you moved clear across the country to do it? How many of you found out that your addiction followed you? So it was never about my playmates and playgrounds, was it? How many of you decided that you just don't pick up no matter what? How many of you were wrong? I pick up no matter what. Give me, give me time. Okay. So I tried those things. I'm aligned with them. If you're aligned with them, we can move forward. Make sense? We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. A lot of times people don't point out to us what our real problem is. The main problem of the addict centers in the mind. The solutions found deep down inside, we're going to find out. 
And the problem that I li had living abstinent is that what I needed was a power that could philosophically comfort me. Does anyone relate to what I'm saying? They discovered they too needed a power that could philosophically comfort them. And they're bearing witness to this day about where and how they find this power. We're about to get there, okay? So it says, our human resources as marshaled by the will were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Question mark. When they put a question mark, they want you to turn the question, the, that statement into a question, go inward. Does it make sense? Where and how? Is that the question? Isn't that always the question you ask when you needed to get hooked up? Every time I wanted to get high, all I needed to know was where and how? Yes? I've already got a power greater than me that's running my life. Any of you get sick in addiction? Or am I the only one? They said this is a power by which I could live. How many of you found there was a power and you wanted you dead when you're out running and gunning? So we know that power well. All right. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is it's to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Do you notice how it says this power will solve my problem? How many of you have tried to solve your problem with the mind that created it? How many of you solved your alcohol problem with a little methamphetamine solution? Or you went the other way, so you, you go to benzos and then opiates. Anyone go that route? Did you find out that while opiates weren't a bad substitute for alcohol, when the opiates ran out, alcohol is a shitty substitute for opiates? Yes? Okay. Okay. So that means we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. Oh, that was weak. Come on. We're going to talk about God. Here, difficulty arises with agnostics. Many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship. Okay, so we're telling you there's a group of us that meet every week, and if you come, we'll share with you some of the things that we're learning that keep us purposeful and empowered, and, and you know, if it appeals to you, then we'll take a look at the book and we'll see if you want to go through with the rest of the program of recovery. Does that make sense? They actually told you you weren't in the program simply because you put your ass in a chair. Okay. So, but his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God. That, that was still weak. Especially when we mention God. For we reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. So the book is about where and how to find the power. I went a little further than I usually do. I can already feel the anxiety coming from some of you. But he forgot to tell us where and how. So I'm going to go to page 55 because I know you tweakers tear stuff apart if you get anxious. So are we there? So I'm, I'm one paragraph down on page 55. Actually, 
We were fooling ourselves. Who's we in this instance? The first 100 are telling their story of the first several thousand who recovered. So their recovery and then the witness of the first several thousand, yeah? So it says, deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. So where? Is everyone in this room comfortably man, woman, or child, or some combination thereof? Okay. So, so far, it's a solution for the whole room. All right. It says, it may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it's there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. I want to caution you. You'll hear in the fellowships sometimes that you can make this up, pick anything you want, light bulb, doorknob, group of drunks, and I will say to you, of course you can, but it's not the program of recovery. The program of recovery is detailed in here, and if you're just going to be silly, then you'll cheat yourself out of the freedom that these people witness and many of us sitting in here can bear witness to you. We're not going to try and argue with you. If you want to make stuff up, then go ahead, but they're going to tell us precisely what's up, right? Okay, so it says we finally saw that some kind of God, no, oh, you guys are way off tonight, some kind of God no, was part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. So they're calling our attention to the sensory nature of this power. Has anyone in the room ever had a friend? About seven of you. Okay. You're challenged a little. Where's my tweakers? Y'all had lots of friends. Why, why are you holding back? How'd that friend make you feel? Anyone want to bite? How'd the, sometimes they can, huh? A friend that lets us down has the power to really hurt us, right? How about when that, it's that new love experience? Yeah. Some of you went ahead and went there, didn't you? You, okay, well, we're not saying, for those of you on the more religious persuasion, I'm not saying, no, the power we call God is not an emotion. What I am telling you is that the power we call God it, is the experiencer of that emotion, the awareness of being aware that there's more to you than this. Does that make sense? Okay, so if you've ever had a feeling for a friend, you know enough about this to get started. That should be comforting for those of you that are more the atheist or agnostic persuasion, right? Okay, so then it said, sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there, capital H. So now they've told me where and how. Where are we going? Deep down inside, and how are we going? Sometimes we're gonna have to search fearlessly. Starting to set up a logical decision for three, to take the first step of action, which is a searching and fearless moral inventory of me, to find out what the calamities, pomps, and worships are that have obscured my consciousness of this power to live within me. Does that make sense? And then I'll be properly armed with the facts about myself when I go out to bear witness of what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. And I'll probably tell you what I am endeavoring to be like, because I'll fall short throughout my human experience. 
All right? So it says, he was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. It was so with us. So they're emphatic. And what I want to say to you all is I have heard over the years and even seen workbooks that tell us, look, if you don't want to believe if that stuff, you just make up your own idea. You, you make up your own, you create the creator. And I would suggest to you that's bad advice. The created should not create the creator because the main problem centers in the mind. What I should do is acknowledge the power and purpose placed within me before birth and then when I awaken to it, walk in it, and I'll know what I know, because I know. Does that make sense? They didn't say the fundamental idea of Joe was deep down inside him. They said the fundamental idea of God. He's a creator. You don't create anything without an idea first. You don't, as a child of him, and he didn't either. There was power and purpose placed within you for an assignment that Chaplain Lee will talk to you about on Saturday. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to jump back to page 45. And we're back to the bottom of that page. It says, we know how he feels. We've shared his honest doubt and prejudice. So those of you who are still doubting, because this is not what you've heard, your only obligation to yourself is Talk to somebody who's helping you with the process and share your honest doubt and prejudice. And I'll tell you why you want to do that. We can't help you if you don't. And if you honestly ask any one of us who are in this power and on assignment, we are under obligation to introduce you to said power. We will stop in our tracks to do so. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. So a lot of people, because they had bad experiences with religious people, have a problem with this idea. But the reason we say power when I say God is none of us have a problem with power. And once we know we're talking about why would I come to believe in a power greater than myself if it wasn't sensory and tangible? I didn't drink and shoot drugs and do all the crazy shit I did because of the theory of how that shit would make me feel. I knew how I was going to feel. And I knew how I felt in the moment with some of them. Okay, so perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. How many of you just thought that it was a little too exclusionary, the theology someone tried to impress upon you? That's okay. Share your honest doubt and prejudice. With that rejection, we imagined we'd abandoned the God idea entirely. We were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. So they're talking to you, if you're anything like me, that started out here a little agnostic. I don't guess I ever was an atheist, but I probably had a little agnosticism, and I wouldn't doubt that I display some today. Because God has pulled me out of some scrapes, and I still doubt that he's going to do it again from time to time. Any of you get into scrapes? 
We look upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. You ever look at the world around you and say, what are you talking to me about this loving God? The people who represent him are nasty. Have you ever felt that way? We looked askance at many individuals who claim to be godly. Now they have a question for us. How could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? Question mark. Time to go inward. Given my life experience, how could a supreme being have anything to do with all the things I've experienced? Any of you ever had those thoughts? And then they got another question. And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? How many of you spent a lot of time trying to comprehend a supreme being and concluded that it wasn't something you could do? They're going to tell us a little bit about what they learned about that question. That's why I ask it. Said, yet in other moments, we found ourselves thinking when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. How many of you have had an experience in your lifetime where you saw something in nature, something happened to you or in front of you, and it was almost like an out-of-body experience? You watched it, it made the spirit move. Anybody? We don't get enough hands yet. How many of you have been in a dangerous situation? I should see a lot more hands in this crowd. So in that dangerous situation, a car wreck, a gunfight, whatever, did you notice that time seemed to slow down? When that happened, you experienced your consciousness. Who's feeling that? Some of y'all are feeling it. That's your encounter. Hold on to that. Because that that we're feeling, that we're sharing, that's that experience we want to share. Okay. How about my athletes? Any athletes in the room? Or, or what, wannabes, whatever. You ever make the perfect dive, the perfect shot, the perfect throw, the perfect catch? Any of, any of those? No one would have thought you were going to make it, but you knew you were going to make it. No, no doubt you're on it. When that happened, you experienced your intuitive self. Isn't that less offensive when we talk to you about experiencing your consciousness, experiencing your intuitive self, and we're all talking about the same power? Does that make sense? Okay, so it says, yes, we have agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. Did everyone who cared to have those thoughts and experiences? Because that's your encounter. If you don't, then you need to share your honest doubt and prejudice. This may not be the setting, but if we've got your attention, there's a whole bunch of people in here that are feeling exactly what's up. Okay? So let us make haste to reassure you, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice, you know what it means to lay aside prejudice? Whatever you're thinking that's blocking you off from getting the freedom you desperately desire, set it aside for a minute and let's have a dialogue about what's really going on here. And express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commence to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. So they're drawing the equivalence, not me. I just like to call it to your attention. And what I like for you to understand is in the second step, if I really don't believe that I need a power greater than me, 
to overcome a power greater than me, then I'm wasting valuable high time. No one asks you to believe in the power we call God. What, we, what we'd like for you to believe is that of your own effort, evidence would dictate that you're not going to overcome your addiction. That's it. Heroin is a power greater than me. Alcohol is a power greater than me. Benzodiazepines are a power greater than me. Ad infinitum. If I can cop to that, then a door is open to the possibility of a power greater than that that will pull me out, and this is the book telling how that happened for thousands and now millions. Does that make sense? Okay, so they said none of us can fully define or comprehend. So I was doing it wrong all along. I'm, I'm waiting to believe, waiting to fully define or comprehend, and nobody can do that. And the minute you try to do that, you've limited your miracle. Does that make sense? How many of you have been surprised what this power has done for you even in a short time? I know some of you, I mean, I, I watched it. Okay. Much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. <laughs> our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and effect a contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. Promise and condition. Possessed of a new sense of power and direction. Possessed of, not possessed by. Meaning, I know, people, when you say possessed, they think possessed by, and they think their heads spin around spewing out green stuff. What we're talking about is that I'm going to have power, I'm going to have access to power flowing through me that is not of me. Does that make sense? And then there was a condition. What was the condition? Provided I took other simple steps. What are those? I might want to go on through with the decision. Now that I've encountered power, I might want to carry out the decision. What, does that make sense? 3 through 12 repeat. Because it's a manner of living. It's not a one and done. Okay. So it says, we found that God does, does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It's open, we believe, to all men. They said something profound there. They told you half of them were atheists or agnostics in the beginning. And now they're telling you, that in their belief, it didn't matter that they didn't believe in God because apparently God believed in them. That's what they said. I didn't say it. That's what they said. When therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. And that's where a lot of people get off on the deception because they haven't read the preceding pages that tell you where and how and the experience of it. And they oh, just pick your own conception. No, 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 no. No, we don't ask you to believe in anything you haven't first experienced. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. For those of you who are not the other way. Okay. This applies to, to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. If you're bothered as you read this book with a term, then 
talk to someone about it or get a dictionary and get a definition that doesn't bother you. Don't change the words, change your mind. That's all they're saying, because this is their testimony. They're not lying, and if you want to argue with them, they're all dead. Keep it up, you'll get there. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth. What are they telling you? Half of them atheists or agnostics. The other half, religious folks dying in their alcoholism. But all they did in the beginning was just acknowledge that that power existed within them. So I said to, to affect our first conscious relation with God as we as we understood him. Over the years, people have said, a God of your understanding. That is not what they said. I need a conscious relation with God as they understood him, and they understood him to be all these experiences of power, peace, happiness. They're going to get into that. But Bill said it felt like a cool wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. It was electric. That's what Bill said. Okay. So then it said, afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach. That was growth, but if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited it was. We're going to start with your conception, whatever it is. I've taken people through the steps in the homeless shelters and things like that. And the guy said, my life would dictate that God is not a possibility. But I do believe, Joe, that you believe. So I will believe in the God you believe in because I believe you believe. And I said, that's enough. That's enough. If you don't think I'm trying to sell you something, then we got to start. And then if you'll walk it out, then you'll be, you'll be doing this to people that are stubborn just like you. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Back to my original statement. If you're not willing to believe there is a power greater than yourself, you're wasting time in recovery fellowships. You just are. And I'm not telling you a theology. I'm telling you if heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, methamphetamine have not kicked your ass sufficiently, then you're wasting valuable high time in our rooms. Because we ain't here to convince you. We're... we're we lack the power to be convincing in the face of fentanyl. As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he's on his way. It's been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. Guys, when they talk to you of a cornerstone, you that are more religious types, you know who the cornerstone is. And they're telling you all you got to do is be willing to believe in the cornerstone. And the willingness is divine power, which they'll tell you later. You'll be willing to do things you weren't willing to do before, after you've had this encounter. How many of you weren't willing to do shit, and then you got beat up enough, you came in and said, oh, just tell me what i got to do. <laughs> so I said, that was great news to us, for we'd assumed we could not make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things on faith which seemed difficult to believe. Is that true for you? Sometimes we're asked to accept things on faith many years in recovery. There's people in this room many years in recovery. We are asked to take things on faith that are still difficult to believe from time to time, are we not? What do we do? 
We walk it out because we live by faith, not by sight. I'd rather tell the story of how amazed I am than miss out on the experience of that amazement. I told a fellow when we were talking about this place, he works here now, I told him, I said, man, he goes, how can you just keep walking towards this place and doing this when it's, I mean, this is an impossible thing. It's never been done before. And I said, I am either the butt of the biggest joke in the universe or God's about to do something really big and let me see it. And, give, and given, that we're, given that we're all here together, ain't nobody laughing now. Matter of fact, they're singing y'all's praises. How many, where, how many of you were here last week when we walked the senator through? How many times have state senators in charge of the Judiciary Committee came in to encourage you in your life? Because I haven't seen it much. It's because of what y'all are doing. All right, so when, when people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequently did we all say, I wish I had what that man has. I'm sure it would work if I could only believe as he believed. But I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him. So it was comforting to learn that we could commence at a simpler level. So how many of you have stopped in your faith walk because you met people that inspired you, but you just couldn't see yourself getting there? Let me tell you something that you may not have ever been told. If it inspires you, you already have it. And our job is just to wake you up. Some of you felt that there, Carrie Ann. That's my, that's my gotcha meter when Carrie Ann's. <laughs> okay. All right. Besides the seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Has that ever happened to you? I've even heard people in the rooms over the years say, I'm sensitive because I'm alcoholic. Have you ever heard that? I'm not sensitive because I'm alcoholic, but because I have this alcoholic condition, my sensitivity is killing me. And if I improve consciousness, then I won't be so sensitive, will I? Because I'll be aware that I'm aware of who I am and whose I am, and these emotional waves can come and go. All right. So it says, many of us have been so touchy that even a casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. So in order to participate in the abandonment of thinking, when you feel that welling up in you, you've got to question your thoughts. We're going to get you started questioning your own thought life, yes? So though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. You're also going to have to question your emotions. Does that make sense? You're going to have to learn to take responsibility for your thoughts and emotions. Pick and choose. Does that make sense? Not supposed to do it in two, but by 10 and 11, that's what you'll be doing. Okay? Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Any of you reasonable? We can't work with you if you're not reasonable. That's why I keep telling you over and over look, if if these things aren't a power greater than you, you're wasting your time, not mine. I'll be here. I'll be here. God willing. Um, sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one will be prejudiced as long as some of us were. 
the reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. We think there are good reasons. Let's have a look at them. Now they're not talking about the power of your addiction. They're going to start talking about the sensory nature of the power we call God. And they're going to give you examples of things we believe in without any physical evidence, but because of our experience with them. Does that make sense? So the practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. Is that you? Practical individual? Facts and results. Show me, don't tell me. Right? Okay. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they're firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Why do I believe in the theory Electrical theory. Sean, in his eloquent way, is describing his encounter with the effects of the theory of electricity. Any of you experienced the theory of electricity by touching the wrong thing? Notice it was tangible. Notice it got your attention. Why this ready acceptance? Simply because it's impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. So I'll assume that electrical theory is real because when I set the thermostat, the room heats up or cools down, or the lights come on, or, or I stick a fork in that socket and we'll get you some power, right? Where, where are you guys that came? Any of you pop a socket or two when you? So you know. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions which, for which there's good evidence but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It's being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. When they say prosaic, it's not a word we ever used, but they're just talking of prose, unimaginative. We see it every day. Things we see every day, we don't question, yes? So these tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful guiding and creative intelligence. Right there, our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. So all they're trying to say is that science tells us that what I'm standing under is a, a mass of electrons whirling around at incredible speed. But what I see is a roof or a support member. Yes, everyone with me? Science would also tell us that we are those whirling mass of electrons. But I see a bunch of individuals. Anyone else see a bunch of individuals? So I'm assuming you're individuals when I know based on what science tells me that's not true. We're one. Yes? It says that we read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, 
We agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word. When they say spearheads, they're talking about the driving force. We're asking the way you're going to come to know this power is to become his hands and feet. You're going to be on the leading edge on earth of this power of love that we're describing, and it's going to emanate, be experienced from within you. Why wouldn't I want to walk in that instead of going nowhere, doing nothing, meaning nothing? And anyone in addiction knows what that thinking is like. You can say that's not what I believe, but it was evident that's what I believe. So it says, our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of all. Rather vain of us, wasn't it? They ask a question. I don't want to leave you with a question because you may not be internalizing what they ask. How many of you had a little help in arriving on this planet? In other words, did you have parents? Did they consult you prior to their interaction? That would suggest I knew little or nothing of the beginning, wherever that might be. Yes? How many of you did things, lived through things that you saw other people die doing? How many of you wished for your own death somewhere along the way from time to time? How many of you are still alive? Good. High percentage of you. That's good. So that would suggest we know very little about the end. Now, if we don't know much about the beginning and we don't know much about the end, how many of you lost a decade or two? Like, vague. Don't know anything about the beginning, don't know anything about the end, don't know much about the middle, then to think I'm the Alpha and the Omega would be a little vain of me, wouldn't it? That's all they're asking us to consider. Okay. So, we who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. We have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, these faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. And for those of you who really don't do organized religion, but you do recovery, did you notice there were stable people in recovery that even when you went snapped off, you came back and there they were. Good to see you back. Glad you survived. Guys, our success rate's 3 to 5% in fellowship. <laughs> I mean, just think about that. If you kept going back and seeing this over and over, you're given all those opportunities. You keep seeing people like Jim sitting there that's been welcoming you back for since they invented rope. People of faith have a logical idea what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness which we should have sought ourselves. So everyone, all we're saying is if you have watched over the years some people just progressively getting better and getting a foundation around them and you've started to do good and then tore it all down, you might want to consider the source of their stability. Fair enough? Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a basis of wholesale condemnation. 
We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? Later you're going to learn what your thoughts and emotions are doing. They're simply reflecting, the world is reflecting your own thinking and emotions as you wake into the spirit with, within you. Sorry. So when I'm judging someone for being intolerant, you ever done that? You ever read the definition of intolerant? We miss the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. In our personal stories, you'll find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. And whether we agree with a particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. Experience has taught us that these are matters about which, for our purpose, we need not be worried. These are they are questions for each individual to settle for himself. So we're going to introduce you to the power. We're going to call your attention to our shared experience of the power. And then you'll walk it out or you won't. It's not our obligation. I have people walk up to me all the time around here. And, and I'm, I'm humbled every time it happened. But they said, you saved my life. I said, I'm not in the saving of life's business. That's God. But I'm, I'm, I am pleased to bear witness to your progress in that power. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. You want to pay attention to this. Half more atheists are agnostics. The other half, religious people dying in their addiction. They all came together in the writing of this book, and they all agreed on this. Not just agreed, but strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. Think about that. You'll hear people tell you, oh, you can remain an agnostic here. Well, you can, but why would you? Why would you cheat yourself out of the freedom that's available for you if just laying aside prejudice for a minute and acknowledging that power that's moving you in positive directions? This power has, in each case, accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women, so that's the book, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Worldly indeed. These people were doctors, lawyers, business people. They flatly declare that since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. How many of you have really needed a revolutionary change in your way of living and thinking. How many of you have been sober a while and periodically need a revolution in the way you're living and thinking? That's why it's a manner of living. It's never a one and done. So it says, in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. Listen to what they're describing. They were in collapse and despair. It's all over. And even if it weren't, no one will ever receive me again. What's the use? If I don't try again, I can't fail again. Any of you relate to that? And then they found, at that point, a new power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowed into them. They didn't say drip or trickle. A flow would make me aware, wouldn't it? 
This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. What are the requirements? Probably want to get through the, the steps, and within the steps you'll see the principles and you'll learn what they are. But in the simplest terms, I think Dr. Bob coined it, trust God, clean house, work with others. There you go. It's that simple. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. Why should I have faith? Because the consciousness of this presence in and on my life has demonstrated to me over and over that I can trust. Many of you here last year, about September, October, any of you hear about us? There was a rumor of our demise. You see us all alive? You don't think some of us were in a little fear? Faith wins over fear. And trust and believe when you walk in here and people say, when I walk in here, I feel something different. That's consciousness of the presence of God. Awareness of being aware that you are walking in power when you walk in these doors. Why do you think we tell you, welcome home? Because when you come home to daddy, you home. This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than all, in all the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the, the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. Yet in ancient times, material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought a round earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. So if you don't know what they're talking about with Galileo, he, he proposed a sun-centered universe. At that time, what they observed it was an earth-centered universe, They just because their perspective was lacking. And the Pope didn't like it and wanted him put to death. How many of us have had similar prejudice worshiping that spirit of scientific inquiry and not leaving room for the miraculous? Because I would suggest to you, by all means, inform yourself with the spirit of scientific in inquiry because God gave you that spirit. But leave room for the miraculous or you'll cheat yourself. All right. So we ask ourselves this. Are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? I'm going to jump from there because we're going to run out of time and Rodney punishes me if I run over. He's, he's really difficult to deal with. <laughs> so I'm going to go to page 56. We're going to talk about a guy who was raised religious, and then he rejected religion. 
based on his life experience, and then he had a profound experience. So this maybe will rope anyone in that's had anything like it or hope for something like this. I'm on page 56. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. Any of you get rebellious based on an overdose of religious education? Okay. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. So remember they told us that my consciousness of this power has been obscured by calamity, pomp, and worship. And now they're telling you a story where this guy's all this crap going on in his family, even though he's raised in a religious home, was obscuring his consciousness. Does that make sense? Those calamities, his perception. Okay. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental, mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. Any of you ever been at a place where someone watching might have thought you were at the point of self-destruction? Should see a lot more hands. One night when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Listen to what they're describing. He questioned everything he'd heard all his life, weighted against his experience, and he asked the question in earnestness, how come you've done nothing for me? And then in a quiet moment, a thought came that crowded out all else. You ever had a thought come to you in the form of a scream? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, there ain't no one else hearing it, but it, it's going to blow me back. Okay? Said it crowded out all else. And the, the thought was, who are you to say there is no God? Now, that was disturbing to him. What he said is this man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. You'll hear religious people say, we don't, we don't want to be religious, we want to be in relationship. I've never heard anyone detail what they mean clearer than this guy. I need to be in conscious, aware that I'm aware of my companionship with the new power within me. And if I'm not, it's just religion. It's not going to save a guy like me. Does that make sense? Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later vicissitude has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned, and at such times a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God, God had restored his sanity. So I'm leaving you with that testimony because later they're going to talk to you about promises as you improve consciousness that you'll 
You'll be able to stand in that presence and you'll feel safe and protected. That's what he's telling you. That's his story. So thank you very much. Next week we'll make a decision.